Well, good morning once again, Lindsley Avenue. Good to see everybody here again this morning. Uh, before we start, I want to have a, another smaller prayer because there are some people that we ought to remember that weren't quite on the list. So uh, if you would, bow with me again just for a moment. Father, we are so thankful to be your children. We are so thankful that you love us and care for us. We are so thankful that you are always the comfort of those who need you. Father, this morning we'd like to remember Gina's daughter, Kelly, and all those who are away from home, those in other lands, those that cause concern for those of us who are not with them. Father, we know that you are the guiding hand and the shepherd who leads everyone. We would ask you to bless these individuals in other countries, that you would bless us so that we will know that you are in control and that you care for them and you care for us. And help us as brothers and sisters to always be there to shoulder the cares and worries that might come. Father, continue to bless everyone and help us to always live in peace as you would have us. Your son, we pray. Amen. We're going to study here this morning and start with a, a series of lessons that over the next couple of couple of months, we're going to return back a little bit, not all boom, 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 one after the other. We're going to be doing a couple of studies out of the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Uh, this morning, we're going to look merely at the first two verses, but we're going to have an introduction to the Gospel of John, a little background about what makes John's account of Jesus' life so different. And then we'll look really for the important part of the first two verses of the Gospel of John. And then, you know, two to three weeks out, we'll return and look at a couple more verses, and then two to three weeks out later. So uh, be on the lookout for a sequence of some study from the Gospel of John. So when we think of the Gospel of John, Again, remember, I'm, I'm going to take a few minutes to lay some, some foundational things, so stay with me uh, here as we do this. The Gospel of John is almost certainly the last Gospel written. Uh, Matthew appears to have been written very early to the Jewish or Hebrew people. Mark, somewhere around 60-ish A.D., uh, Mark had been a companion of Peter's, according to tradition and history. Luke, again, somewhere in the 60-ish A.D. time frame, Luke as a companion of Paul. But John writing perhaps some 30 to 40 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And tradition and history tells us in the city of Ephesus, where Paul had spent so much time, where Timothy had spent so much time. And history tells us John ended up in the last few years of his life. So by having 30 some odd years, possibly, probably after Matthew, Mark, and Luke had been written, there was time for the reflection of things that had not been recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have quite a few similarities. And so John has the ability to be thinking, knowing what had been recorded there, and to really, in a sense, fill in some information that had not been recorded. There's a great deal of focus and information on the early part of Jesus' ministry. It certainly is a gospel that is different. As I say, it complements Matthew, Mark, and Luke and leaves out a lot of what's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. For example, there's no mention of Jesus' birth in the Gospel of John. There's no mention of his baptism. There's no mention of his temptations. There's no mention specifically of the institution of the Lord's Supper, and the, the Last Supper that Jesus had. There's no mention of Gethsemane. 
almost certainly there's a lot of discussion in those hours leading up to the crucifixion, but no direct mention of Gethsemane. There's no mention of his ascension as recorded in uh, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, there's no healing of anyone who is possessed by devils or evil spirits, and there are no parables mentioned in the Gospel of John. But only John records the marriage feast at Cana in Galilee, the beginning of Jesus' miracles. Only John mentions of the nighttime visit of Nicodemus. Only John mentions the woman of Samaria, the woman who undoubtedly had made some decisions that were not the best, but who certainly was on the receiving end of way too much uh, abuse and way too much uh, marginalization by the people she was around. Only John mentions the, the high point of John's record of Jesus' ministry on the earth, the resurrection of Lazarus, where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Only John records the quiet moment of the teaching of humility where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And only John records the teachings about the Comforter, which is so terribly important to us now that Jesus has gone to be with God in heaven. John reveals a great number of specific details about the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. In chapter 6, verse 9, John mentions that the loaves that were brought with the fish were barley loaves. When recorded elsewhere, there's no mention of what kind of bread it was. John says it was barley. Uh, John, in chapter 6, a few verses later, records that while the disciples were in the boat, that they had rowed three or four miles in the boat. John records that there were six water pots at Canaan. John records that the crown put on Jesus' head was a crown of thorns. The other accounts don't mention what it was a crown of. John records that there were four soldiers gambling. John records the exact weight of the spices that were going to be used to anoint Jesus' body. And in chapter 11, when perfume is applied to the feet of Jesus, John records with a vivid memory of how the, the scent filled the house. Filled the house. So many details recorded in the Gospel of John. Miracles in the Gospel of John were often followed by deep thoughts. Jesus didn't simply feed 5,000 men. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus didn't simply heal the blind man in John chapter 9. Uh, but he is the light of the world. Uh, Jesus didn't simply raise Lazarus. He is the resurrection and the life. John is in so many ways the most spiritual gospel, taking things that happened to Jesus and pointing out the more fundamental, important background of what real, important aspects of what had just happened were to all of us. When you think about the Gospel of John, if it's written some 30, 40 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the church as it existed toward 100 AD, 90 to 100 AD, is quite different than it was in 50 to 60 AD. It's no longer primarily Jewish, but Gentile. And in the New Testament times, that means Greek, people from a Greek background. It had changed. John's uh, environment that he's giving this gospel to is quite different than the environment for even Matthew, Mark, and even Luke. A Greek person opening up the life of Jesus in Matthew is greeted with all sorts of things. Genealogies. Who on earth were those people? Someone from a Greek background wouldn't have any clue who most of those people were. He's confronted with Jesus as the son of David. And some people might wonder who. 
He's also presented with Jesus as the Messiah predicted by the prophets. Again, who were those people? Ideally, of course, as someone has become a member of God's family, a lot of that information would be provided and supplied, but right off the bat, they're not particularly going to know who these people were and what the importance of all that was. John presents Jesus differently to a different audience. The Greek world had had two great ideas that start off the Gospel of John. The two great Greek ideas that John says and applies to Jesus. The first of these great Greek ideas is the idea of the logos. The word logos means word or reason. We get the word logical from this Greek word logos. Jews were familiar, of course, with the all-powerful word of God. In fact, the book of Genesis starts out with, let there be light. God stated, thinking, let there be light, and there was light. Creation occurs because of the word of God expressed in power. Greeks were familiar with the idea of reason. The Greeks, from the, the philosophy of the Greek world, looked at this world with all of its order and regularity and asked, who or what produces all of this order? I mean, spring follows winter, the seed falls to the ground and grows, light begets light. There's a tremendous amount of order in the world. And it had not escaped the Greek culture and the Greek thinkers. What's the cause for all this order and all this regularity? The Greek answer to all that was the logos of God, the mind of God, the reason of God is responsible for all of this order in the world. The world is reflecting the reason and an order of God expressed as a concept. They didn't mean the God that exists. They meant simply as a principle. All right. They didn't stop there. They also asked, what gives man the power to think and to reason and to know? If the world itself has all this regularity and it's here because of order and reason and power of God as a principle, what makes man different? What makes man able to think and to reason? And their answer to that was that same logos of God, the same power and reason of God dwelling within man, dwelling within woman, makes us a thinking, reasoning being. So that's a tremendous idea that they had come to about the world and about the difference within people without a knowledge of the God of the Bible. John opens the Gospel of John by saying to the Greeks, all your lives you have been fascinated by this guiding, controlling mind of God that you were able to see out in the world. Here's the big deal to my Greek audience. The mind of God has come to earth. In the, in the body and life of Jesus. This principle you were looking for came and lived and dwelled among us. Look at him. Look at Jesus. Study the life of Jesus and you will know about the logos of God. You will know what God is like by studying about Jesus. The other great idea that the Greeks had had was this concept of two worlds. Concept of two worlds. One world, the world in which we live, was wonderful, but really a world of shadows, copies and unrealities. Nothing here in the world in which we live is perfect. Look at the pews on your sitting. Look at clothes that you're wearing. I, I notice there's a thread on this button. It may look nice, it's a wonderful place, but it is not 
perfect. It's not perfect. There are deficiencies. There are, there are issues or problems. But the other world was, in fact, truly the real world. And so everything here was, in a sense, a shadowy copy of reality that really existed somewhere else in that other world. In that unseen world, perfect patterns existed. You may have a chair, but that chair is simply a manifestation of, for some reason you might have thought of, the perfect chair that existed off in this other world. We're all dim copies of what reality really is all about. The pattern of all patterns in this unseen world is God. God, from that principle the Greeks had, is the source of all pattern. All reality, all being comes from this principle the Greeks called God. The Greek problem was, how do I get out of this world with all of its failure, with all of its, with its failure, with all of its problems? How do I get out, how do I get out of this world and into the real world where I want to be? How do I get to that world of perfection where everything is truly wonderful? John's answer is, Jesus is how you get into that real world. You've wanted to know, the philosophers have wanted to know for all this time, how do we get into the real world? Well, Jesus came from that real world to tell us how we can go back to the real world where we truly belong. Jesus is reality come to the earth. It turns out the Greek world word for real is alathinos. That, that and a whole lot of money will get you a cup of coffee knowing what that word is. But that's the word used in the New Testament for real. And it's often translated as true, but real is a better translation for it. And that word is used of Jesus over and over again. Jesus is the real light that came into the world, John. Jesus is the real bread which came down of heaven, John 6. Jesus is the real vine in John 15. Jesus, to Jesus belongs real judgment, real true judgment in John 8. Jesus alone, Jesus alone shows us what reality is like in this world of shadows. John presents Jesus to the Greeks. That's the purpose of John's account of the life of Jesus. Well, who do we have more similarity to? The Jewish people who had lived in the land of Israel for all this time and had so much of the Jewish past and Jewish law and regulations and worship? We're actually Gentiles. We have a lot more in common with the Greek view of the world than we really do, despite all our study of the Old Testament, with the Jewish or Hebrew world. So John speaks to us. And John speaks to our culture. Our culture today that doesn't think there is truth. Our culture today that doesn't really understand why things continue to fail in the here and now. Jesus is the answer to our world and our problems, just as he was 2,000 years ago. John also confronts false teaching, which is really important to know. The, whoops, the false teachers had said that Jesus was not really divine and also not really human. There were two sides to that. He was not really God, and others said he's not really human. John attacks both of those. The Gospel of John emphasizes both. For example, the humanity of Jesus. Jesus is angry in the temple courts in chapter 2. He's angry. He's human. He got upset, for proper reasons, in the courts of the temple in chapter 2. 
He's physically tired when he speaks to the woman at the well in Samaria in John 4. He's all tuckered out, we might say. He's offered food when he's hungry. He got hungry. He had sympathy to those who were hungry and afraid. He felt for people. He was moved for people. He knew grief and shed tears. You know, the, the cheater, cheating thing for kids when they have to memorize Bible verses was always to memorize the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. But it's one of the most important verses in the whole Bible. Jesus, the God of the universe, who spoke everything into existence and by his power all things came into existence, cried because of the grief he saw in people around him. Does Jesus know when I'm feeling hurt, when I'm feeling pain, when I'm feeling sorrow, when I know that things haven't gone quite right for me? Absolutely he does. Jesus shed tears for the grief of those who were around him, who felt moved because his friend had died. I need to remember that when things happen in my life. Jesus knows what it is like to lose people in faith. He also, of course, knew agony on the cross. You know, so many times we focus on the pain and suffering of the scourging and Jesus being on the cross. In reality, a better study is to look at the shame of the cross, which isn't important to us. Our world has no shame, right? It really doesn't. Nothing is shameful anymore. In the first century, shame was terribly important, and it was shameful to be put to death on the cross. And that was almost worse than any pain or suffering about it. But we'll leave that for another day. There was agony on the cross. Jesus knew what it meant to feel pain and suffering. John displays a truly human Jesus. Don't ever buy any story about Jesus not being human. He absolutely was, and John shows that. But he also was so uh, very, very much divine. He was God walking the earth. Jesus' omnipotence, his miracles. Jesus shows a command over nature with the waters being still in his word, turning uh, water into wine, all sorts of things that no one could do unless they were God on the earth. Jesus' pre-existence in chapter 8, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And he uses the actual words that the Jewish people would use for God's name. The, the English translations often say, I am he, right, sometimes, or I am. No, the Jews knew what he meant because they started at this point to pick up rocks to stone him. They knew in their minds he had blasphemed. Jesus just speaking the truth. I am. His omniscience. He knew of the life of the woman at the well in Samaria. We miss that sometimes. We talked about it some weeks ago. But Jesus told her all the things she ever did. She was shocked. How does this stranger know anything about me? He did. If he knows about her, he knows about us. Jesus says answer to the question that he asked Philip. I saw you before. I called you when you were under the tree. He knows about Philip. He knows the questions. He knows all things. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. Jesus knew of Lazarus' death before he possibly could. There weren't texts to tell somebody far away things that had happened back then. He knew that Lazarus had, in fact, already died. John presents Jesus as undeniably human and yet also undeniably divine. In these first two verses of John, that was the background for the Gospel of John. That's one reason it's all on the paper. Because when we come back to it over the next couple of weeks, we need to keep those things in mind. So I'll probably hit them real quickly 
when we come back. But now look at just those first two verses of John chapter 1. There's three incredibly important things that he tells us in these two verses. Picking up again with John 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was at the beginning with God. The important point here is the Word was already there at the beginning. The Word is not one of the created things. The Word is not something that was created. The philosophers and the theologians argued about that in the 300, 400, 500 time frame after the time of Jesus. Was Jesus created or was he there in the beginning? Well, John actually answered that a long time before. The Word was in the beginning with God. He was pre-existent. If the Word was with God before the beginning, the Word is part of the eternal scheme, the eternal setup of how things work. God has always been like Jesus. Terribly important for us. If we're going to look to Jesus to see what God is like, since the Word, Jesus, has always been, He has always been like God. And so it is a true representation of the heart of God and what God is like. So, so very important. God's nature did not change when Jesus came to the earth. Some people want to have a God in the Old Testament who was angry and mad and just wanted to kill lots of people. And it's as if Jesus had to come to the earth to straighten things out. No, 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 no. God's a God of love. Well, God's always been a God of love who wants us to live the way he has told us to. As I say, some are tempted to view God as, as holy, just, and avenging. They think that somehow Jesus changed God's attitude. Jesus said, wait, 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 this is really not a good way to be, and came down to change things. That's not true. Not true at all. God has always been like Jesus. Jesus has always been like God because they have been there together from the beginning. Some are also tempted to ask, what happened before Jesus came? It's kind of meaningless. Jesus has always been with God. Jesus has always been God. Jesus always will be God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Number two, there has always been the most intimate connection between God and the Word. Look again at John 1, 1 and 2. Not only in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. There is this inseparable connection and commonality and identity with the Word being with God. No one can tell us what God is like what God's will for us, what God's love and heart and mind are like in the way that Jesus came. It's terribly important. Sometimes we have this view of God as this distant, unapproachable, uh, magisterial kind of being that no one could possibly hope to ever reach or reach out to or who could take notice of me. Look, in the form that Jesus showed when he came to the earth, Find Jesus and the human Jesus knows exactly what it's like. He told us exactly what God is like. And Jesus being the mediator, the one that we pray to God through, the one who we help, helps us approach God, knows exactly the struggles, the fears sometimes, and the anxieties that we have. There are no secrets between God and Jesus other than the day Jesus is going to return. There's one thing that Jesus never knew, only the Father knew, what day Jesus is coming back. He's the one person, the one entity in all the universe who can reveal to us what God is like and what, how he feels towards us. And 
John 3.16. God loved the world so much. He loved you and me so much that he sent his son to live and die so that we would be able to have our sins forgiven and go home and live with him. Number three, notice this one's kind of a smaller point. John does not say that Jesus was a God. Some of our religious neighbors, some of the ones that typically will knock on doors quite a bit, make the, their translations add a little article in there. That's what that A is. You can think back to English class. I'm sorry. I know that's bad memory for most of us, English class in school. But you had articles, A, and and B. And it made, if you put an article in there, Jesus was a God, it would mean there were other gods too. There is not... God the Father and a God the Son and a God the Spirit. There is one God. God is one. Jesus was God. The Word was God. The Word is God. Jesus is not simply the God, which would mean he's identical with God. He's just God. It's a, it's a mystery. It's not something that our minds can really comprehend. I don't understand it, but I know when I can say things that don't reflect what's true and what we've been told. The Word was God. He's not a God, not one among many. Instead, John says that Jesus was God, the same character, the same quality, the same essence, the same being as God. He's so perfectly the same as God in mind and heart and being that in Jesus, you see what God is like because Jesus is God who would walk the earth. When Jesus feels compassion for the multitude, when he sees them as sheep without a shepherd, he knows how I feel. He knows how you feel. When you were tired, when you're tempted to give up, remember, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, are you two also going to go away? He knew the, the, the feeling that people might not follow him. Peter, of course, said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. You have the words of life. In John 14, 8, Philip had said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus' response had said, this is so important to remember, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Which leads to my final point here. If you want to know God, I suspect most of us do. Most of us want to know God. John 1, 1, 2. The beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He was there in the beginning with God. And so he was not created my basic question here is, if you want to know God, how can you know God? How can you know what God is like? My answer is to know Jesus, and I think that's John's answer as well. You can make a bumper sticker perhaps, right? Want to know God? Know Jesus. Because that's really the entire point of the Gospel of John, to show us what God is like. And so what does God want? What did Jesus want when he was here? He wants us, John 3, 16, to believe in him, to understand that Jesus came and lived and died as God's son, lived a perfect life, so that we might have the opportunity to go live with him. He told us we have to turn our lives around. You have to change from wrong to right. You have to repent for the fancy word. You have to start living for God instead of living for yourself. And he also had said that you needed to repent Turn your life around and be baptized. Be immersed in water so that your sins might be forgiven. If you don't yet really know God, today's your day. 
And if you have known God, but your life simply hasn't been living in the direction that God wants it to be, you can get back on track today. Respond to the call of God. We can pray for you. We can ask God to forgive you, and he will abundantly forgive you, as he does to each and every one of us. That's the call of Jesus today as we stand inside.